I say I've made a resolution. Well, you know, we all want to change our lives. But it feels this time like there's a solution. Well, you know, let's see just how hard I strive. There is something about the rather arbitrary marking of a new year that reels me in every time. In spite of ample evidence to the contrary, with the promise of greater possibility for changing things about my habits, routines, priorities, about my life, about myself. Even though I rarely use physical calendars or date books or planners anymore, I still hold that vision of a fresh new blank page that is just waiting for me to fill it with neatly penned recording of a new me. Just a quick example, I have many, many journals or diaries that were begun in January's past. Alas, they all end in that same month. Maybe one or two managing to cross the line into February, crawling, gasping for air, quickly expiring within the first week. For me, the greater possibility that January promises has not been sustained past January, which is kind of the point of my well-intended resolutions, after all. They are meant to be sustainable. So in light of my troubling track record, I've given up making formal resolutions. But that does not feel fully satisfying either. What do I do with this renewed, if naive, hope that fills me at this time of year? Should I try to squash it by recalling the failures of my past attempts at January transformations? Should I simply dismiss it as unfortunate calendrical conditioning? Should I revisit those past attempts to see what I might learn? If I really want to make changes, introduce new habits, seize new possibilities, how do I go about it? Well, I think it starts, as many things do, it seems, with getting honest with myself. When I examine some of the many resolutions I've made over the years, it is helpful to peel back a layer or two of motivation and ask myself first, not why I couldn't sustain them, but why I made them in the first place. I have to get real. Now, there are many books written on building new habits, new routines, changing behaviors by people much more knowledgeable than I am about human behavior and motivation. I am not qualified to offer a self-help plan or a map to success. I can only offer some reflections from my own struggles with seeking to change my habits and routines, to introduce new patterns of behavior, to change for the better. And there are a few things I've noticed right off the proverbial bat that can doom my most sincere January resolutions to becoming February failures. First, I sometimes add activities to my schedule without taking anything away. Now, I'm not saying that all my time is presently spent wisely, but it is spent. (laughs) 
So if I'm adding something without making a space for it, I'm decidedly not getting real. That seems like a relatively easy adjustment, right? A blinding flash of the obvious appropriate on epiphany um, uh, to realize that there are only 24 hours in a day. But more than that, it has led me to reflect on the very idea of making space in my life. Making space not to fill, but to be filled. Or to be emptied. Or just to be present. How do I make space in between activities and even in the midst of activities such that I am not simply thinking ahead to the next thing, but can take a pause to become truly aware of where I am and what I am doing and why I am doing it. How do I make the space for life to enter? Another unrealistic approach to resolutions is my desire to be like someone else. Sometimes, profoundly inspired by another person, I imagine that I can adopt what they do and thus be like or more like them. It's an understandable desire, perhaps. Here are a couple problems with it. Whatever they are doing has arisen out of their experience and effort and reflection and commitment. I can try to adopt the outward manifestations, but it doesn't necessarily translate the way I had imagined. Plus, I don't really know what it means to be like someone else. Annie Lamott wisely counsels, don't compare your insides to others' outsides. That is becoming more and more of a challenge in the age of social media when we are barraged with what we all choose to display on the outside. Don't get me wrong. Social media provides wonderful connections that would not exist otherwise. And it can also send us into deep disappointment and discouragement if we are comparing our insides to others' outsides. As a minister who is privileged to hear from many people about what is going on inside without breaking any confidentiality, let me assure you, everyone has stuff. Everyone has challenges and disappointments and heartbreaks and things they wish to change about themselves. Further, if we are using others' successes, accomplishments, the joys in their lives that they wish to share, if we are using those to beat up on ourselves, we have robbed ourselves of the ability to truly celebrate with them. Rather, we feel resentment in spite of ourselves because we fall short of what we see others attaining. Rather than celebrating with them and allowing that feeling of inspiration to fill us and listening for the unique way it may take shape in our own lives, we turn it into a way to feel bad about ourselves. And that, of course, is not humility. It is self-absorption. It is making things all about me. Another way of doing that, which I have sometimes fallen prey to, is to make resolutions based on what I think you think I should do or be or practice or attain. 
I strive to meet expectations that I imagine you, that murkily defined yet insistent general you out there who is always telling us what to do, I strive to meet expectations that I imagine you have projected onto me. Doesn't that sound messed up? I mean, there are many things which society or the culture or my family or my friends or this congregation expect of me that are worthy, noble things, and there is nothing wrong with striving to meet those expectations. But that's what I mean about being honest. It always pays for me to ask, where is this coming from? I feel that I want to do this or I should want to do this. Why exactly? Because I feel that it would be helpful healthy, important, or because I think that someone else expects this of me. And that's the difference. I am not talking about clearly defined expectations from others. Here I am talking about the expectations that I imagine others, fuzzily defined, have for me. It is yet another form of self-absorption. The truth is, others however we define that group, think about us much less than we imagine. (laughs) Other people are occupied with their own lives. Thus, even if I wish to comport myself in such a way to meet others' expectations, I would first have to define others and then make sure that the expectations I had imagined were actually held by them a proverbial wild goose chase. Far better that I listen to poet Mary Oliver's wild geese announcing my place in the family of things. Far better that I hold myself accountable to my own highest aspirations, which will naturally strengthen and deepen the way I connect with others. Far better in mapping out any resolutions is that I ask myself what it is I really want and what it is about my life that I want to change. And the assumption there, which is not always true, (laughs) is that I want to change. There are many changes I would like to make or think I would like to make, but I choose not to sit with the reality long enough to heed the call of A. Powell Davies in the reading, saying it must be a real journey with all that goes with a real journey, including its burdens and sacrifices. I want to change, I whine, but I just can't. And if I sit with that dilemma for a few moments, I begin to see the reality underneath it all. I don't really want to change, I want to have been changed. I want to already be different with healthier habits and meaningful achievements and time for others, but I don't choose to take a real journey with all that goes with a real journey, including its burdens and sacrifices. To paraphrase Woody Allen's famous quote about dying, I'm not afraid of change, I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) So how can I hope to get from here to there. Oliver Berkman writes, don't be guided by thoughts of how wonderful the rewards might be if you were spectacularly successful with your actions. That sounds a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? 
certainly contrary to a lot of advice you can find in the self-help section. Shouldn't I picture the wonderful rewards that await me if I can make this change in my life? Isn't that what will inspire me to do the work that is necessary to make it happen? Not necessarily, says Berkman. And I find indeed that sometimes the distance between that shining vision of a changed me and my present self, ever resistant to discipline and sacrifice, can be positively uninspiring. The goal calls to me on January 1st, but by January 6th, (laughs) I'm saying no way that's going to happen. And I return to my old patterns, feeling guilty, disappointed, and just a bit relieved. Don't be guided by thoughts of how wonderful the rewards might be if you were spectacularly successful at any given next step. Instead, ask how big the loss would be if you failed. So long as it would be tolerable, that's all you need to know. Take the next step and see what happens. So I won't dream of keeping a complete autobiographical record with entries every day. I'll say, what's wrong with continuing my journal from 2015? (laughs) I miss a day, I miss a week, a month. What's to keep me from starting again? What do I have to lose? My resolution is not to quench the spirit when it arrives because I have failed to meet some unrealistic expectation. So I won't dream of speaking another language fluently or reading Isabel Allende in the original Spanish, but what's to keep me from spending a short time each day trying to learn and remember some vocabulary? I might fail to keep it up. I may feel slow. I may get discouraged, but what do I have to lose? I won't dream of comprehensively catching up with faraway friends every month. But what do I have to lose in writing a quick email when they come to mind and just let them know I'm thinking of them? So my primary resolution this January is to remind myself that possibility exists in every moment throughout the year. I won't be aware of that every moment. But I will be reminded, and I vow not to rush past those reminders. I vow to make space around and in the midst of activities such that I can notice where possibility exists. I will do my best, in the words of writer, theologian, and civil rights activist Howard Thurman, to keep before me the moments of my high resolve. Start with your means. Don't wait for the perfect opportunity. Start taking action based on what you have readily available, writes Berkman. I will strive to engage with what is real rather than imagined expectations or unrealistic commitments. To start with what is before me rather than yearning for what is not. To act on that which presents itself whether expunging a prejudice, expelling a bitterness, foregoing a mean intention, deciding upon a generosity. 
most of all in the wake of my own failure to meet my highest aspirations. I vow not to give up, but to start again, right where I am, whatever time of the day or month or year it is to recommit myself to the journey as if it were day one of a new year. Poet W.S. Merwin writes, So this is the sound of a new year. Here and now, whether or not anyone hears it, this is where we have come with our age, our knowledge such as it is, and our hopes such as they are, invisible before us, untouched, and still possible. And in the words of a couple other poets, don't you know it's going to be All right.